And all God's people said, amen. What a great morning of worship. I want to invite you to take your Bible and find the Old Testament book of Genesis today, chapter 39. And we're going to look at chapter 39 and some of 40 and then early part of 41 today. And I am so grateful for uh, the opportunity to be back here at Southwestern Seminary. And I love uh, Dr. Patterson and Ms. Patterson. Thank you again, sir, for the invitation. I love your ministry. I love your professors. And I uh, just want to commend you for finishing strong uh, this semester. It's really, um, I know a lot's been going on in your lives. And so prayerfully, we'll just be encouraged by God's word today and, and uh, sharpen our ministry focus for this next season and next opportunity. Maybe some of you are graduating or getting ready for a, a summer season of ministry or you're pastoring a church. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. I love what God's doing here at Southwestern Seminary. And our church in Bossier City loves what you're doing. And so it's really, really special for, for me to be here, for Stephanie and I to be here. Mrs. Patterson, thank you for being here as well. And um, they do uh, love Stephanie more than me. I get it. Uh, they affirm her. They think she's so sweet and awesome. Let me, and she is. She's sweet and awesome. But people think that she's so uh, uh, kind and gentle and doesn't do anything crazy. But do you, have you guys ever heard of April Fool's Day? Do you know what I'm talking about? And so this year, April Fool's Day was on a what? It was on a Sunday. That's right, on Easter Sunday. So in years past, Stephanie's done some pretty strategic uh, pranks, if you will, on April Fool's Day. It's always been one-on-one. -on -one. She's never ganged up on me with the entire church. And so on Easter, I thought of all days, really, are we going to do something like this? And uh, I'm ready to preach, and I'm focused, and we're fired up. And uh, it's first service on Easter Sunday morning, and I'm doing the welcome, I'm greeting our guests, and very, very excited. And my worship pastor, Eddie Colvin, stops me in the middle of my welcoming our guests on Easter in that service. He said, Pastor Brad, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I'm getting word that we have a live feed coming out from our parking lot near your vehicle. I said, what are you doing? And so I look back on the big screen there in our church, and it goes out live, and you see my Suburban, my vehicle, right out there in the parking lot with a big sign handwritten on the front. And it says, the tomb is empty, but your car is not. And she had filled my car with 7,000 Easter eggs. And she had gotten the whole church behind her, and they're all wearing these shirts to say, Team Stephanie. And so I go out there and open my door, Dr. Patterson, and all thousands of eggs are coming out of my vehicle. And for the last two and a half weeks, every time I stop, there are eggs that come out from underneath my seat. I want you to pray for her that she'll get right with God today. It's one thing one-on-one, -on -one, sister, but that's something Mrs. Patterson would do. It's game time now. But anyway, we're going to have some fun with that. But, anyway, but Easter was great, all right? We saw a lot of people come to faith in Christ. But anyway, pray for us, all right? We have a lot of fun, and ministry can always be challenging, but it's also a blessing. So Genesis 39, uh, I was drawn to this text. I've always been encouraged by how God used these incredible relationships in Joseph's life in the most unlikely of places to do something strategic in the kingdom and plan of God. So I want us to, again, stand in honor of God's word. If you'll find verse 21 of Genesis 39, let's read this together today. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And the warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. It's an amazing moment. And the warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything that he did successful. God had given Joseph vision. He had given him a dream. He was brutally betrayed by his brothers and his family, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. Lord was with him in a home 
with Potiphar. And he stood his ground. He resisted temptation. He was tested. And for his stand for the Lord and the Lord's ways to not give in to temptation, he's put in prison. He's falsely accused and thrown in prison. And yet we find the Lord was with him even there. I want you to notice what God's word records for us in verse 1 of chapter 40. After this, the Egyptian king's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard assigned Joseph to them, and he became their personal attendant, and they were in custody for some time. The Egyptian king's cupbearer and baker, who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. And both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? Oh, we had dreams, they said to him, but there's no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. The cupbearer shares his dream and Joseph interprets it for him. You're going to be promoted in three days. You're going to get your job back. The baker comes alongside. Well, if you interpret his, can you interpret mine? He does. Not such a good word. You're actually going to die. So that wasn't healthy. In verse 20 of chapter 40, the Bible says, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had explained to them, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Joseph wanted and said, look, I'm going to help you. Please just remember me. I'm, I'm kind of in prison here too, all right? He forgot. Verse 1 of chapter 41, two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. You may be seated this morning. Pharaoh had a dream, and as we'll see in just a few moments, that God used these unlikely relationships in prison to create a pathway in a moment for God to use Joseph to point Pharaoh and all of those people to the one true God. The power of relationships that God will put in your life. Some of you are going to go to church plants. They're brand new, brand new city, brand new country, brand new region, and God's going to use you. And you've got to be aware of the relational influence. Every relationship is an opportunity to not only point them to Jesus Christ for salvation, but for God to use that to advance his plan and purpose in your city, your church, the region for the gospel. You're going to go to some churches that are existing. What about the relationships that God's going to put in your path? I mean, Joseph was wanting to follow the Lord, and God puts these people in his path, but little did he know that God would use those very relationships to take him to a position to point so many to the living God. I want you to think about this this morning, pastors. We need to be ready to cultivate an influence for Christ, every relationship that God puts before us. Think about it. In chapter 39, Joseph develops a relationship with the warden of the prison, right? And then out of that, he develops a relationship with two of, the, of Pharaoh's chief assistants, the, the, the cupbearer and the baker. And ultimately, God would use an opportunity in front of Pharaoh himself. No matter your church size, whether it's 50 or 5,000, no matter the community or city you live in, you can be a pastor who can build powerful relationships with those that God puts before you. 
In other words, every relationship matters and can be a powerful influence for Christ. And so I want to encourage us from God's word and challenge us from God's word this morning. Every relationship matters. How can you be used to build relationships, to not only see people come to Christ, but be used in strategic ways to influence your church, city, and region, wherever God places you for the glory of God? We can learn a lot of lessons from Joseph's life this morning. Number one, you must cultivate your relationship with God above all else. I don't want you to miss that. That's why I wanted you to read in verse 21 of chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph through it all, in the midst of it all. Joseph's number one relationship was not with the warden of the prison, would not be with Pharaoh's you know, attendants, the cupbearer and the baker. His number one relationship needed to be with the living God. The Lord was with Joseph. So I want to admonish you this morning, before you think about the size of church that you want to pastor, before you think about the salary package you think you need, before you think about the cool logo for the church plant you're going to, before you think about the cool new worship song you want to give to the world, before you think about how close you can live to your family and pastor a church at the same time, your chief concern is God's hand on my life. That needs to be our prayer. Joseph would have been nothing if he had not sought the Lord, even in prison, to say, God, no matter where I am, and no matter who you put in my path, my relationship with you is of utmost importance. We have to have that heartbeat. We know also in Genesis 39, verse 2, that the Lord was with Joseph, helped him to be strong. And through Joseph is how Potiphar's world was blessed. Joseph was facing a variety of pressure. He faced temptation at the highest level. He stood strong for the Lord. He faced a variety of pressures. The bottom line is there's a lot of pressure in seminary, right? There's a lot of pressure to study and to take these tests, and you don't think these professors are for you. I remember these professors would tell me at Southeastern Seminary, uh, Brad, we're going to push you right to the edge, but right when you think you're going to fall off, we will catch you. That's a lie. They never caught me, not one time. Not one time did they catch me, Dr. Patterson. They, they had fun watching me go down, you know, and then talk about it later. But it's part of the process. And I'm so proud of you for taking that step to come in here to an environment, to, be, to, to kind of feel that pressure, to wrestle with it. That's a healthy thing. But listen, when you're pastoring a church or when you're serving on staff or you're ministering in some mission location, there are a variety of pressures you are going to face on the family front, on the preaching front. On the leadership front, you need the Lord to be all over your heart and life. King David knew about a lot of pressure, right? Taken to the pinnacle of leadership for Israel, he knew about pressure. He knew about pressure when he saw his family divide, when he saw those come against him that he thought he could trust, he thought he could love. He faced a variety of pressures, and I love what he pins in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. He says, you, God are my God, and earnestly I seek you, and I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you, and in a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary, and behold your power and your glory, and because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with the singing lips my mouth will praise you." David faced pressure after pressure after pressure, and yet he knew his greatest desire needed to be the Lord. 
And Joseph knew that even in prison, God, I want you with me. I want to hunger for you. I want to stay strong for you. I want to be passionate for you. So my question to you this morning is, how is your relationship with Jesus? Is it growing? Is it stagnant? Is it just dry? You know, Stephanie and I lived in Lubbock, Texas for 10 years, okay? I remember the mayor of the city calling us to prayer because in a year and a half, we had had a half inch of rain in West Texas. A half inch of rain. That's a lot of dust. That's a lot of dryness. And we were called to pray. And I tell you, it's really cool how we prayed and saw God do some great things and bring rain to a parched land. In Louisiana, every year we get 40 plus inches of rain. And one afternoon a couple years ago there in Bossier City, Steph and I are talking, they said, yeah, storm's coming through, and so it started to rain, and then it continued to rain, and it continued to rain, and I went to Home Depot and bought some lumber, and we built an ark, because in one day, it rained 20 inches, and it began to flood. I, we've never, I'd never experienced that. Stephanie had lived in Houston before, years ago. She knew what fast floodwaters could look like. And so there we are in our, in our home, and the police, uh, excuse me, the fire chief and I had become friends. In fact, I baptized him two years ago, and I was texting him like, hey, buddy, are we okay? And sure enough, our neighborhood got put on the evacuation list, and there were thousands of homes that when this levee was about to break. And so we're really worried about that. And so we had to take our kiddos, and we took our little dog. We have a little weenie dog named Belle, and she loves uh, Jesus. She just hates people, so it's a lot of issues there. Um, but but we, we, we went to the church. We took her to the church, took everybody to the church. And, and so we stayed the night at the church and just camped out, you know. And so, I mean, we, but it was a very scary time. And those first responders and firefighters at midnight made a decision, we're going to stop this water from rising, or not keep it from rising, but keep it from flooding thousands of homes. And they were worked their tails off for days and kept and we got to be able to go back into our homes but I'll never forget the picture there's a little um, bridge that goes over a ravine going into our neighborhood and I remember going across that bridge and that water was so high you're driving on the road and it was just literally right there I mean we got out of that I was like wow Lord this is like for real and now you drive across that ravine and it could be as dry as can be I wonder how our lives and hearts are today are they rushing with the power of the Spirit of God? Or is it stagnant or maybe even dried up? Listen, I'm telling you, no matter your vision for going to a church or being on staff or doing all these things, your heart and listen, my heart, we have got to be intentional to say, please God, I want your Spirit leading and moving and shaping my heart above anything else. We have to live aware of our hearts and lives as pastors. Are our hearts dry or are they roaring with the spirit of the living God? Some of us may need to do a gut check with that today. I guarantee you Joseph did. Wouldn't you be mad? Wouldn't you be mad if you're put in prison for doing what's right before the Lord? I mean, humanly speaking, you're sitting there going, really? I did what was right and I'm in prison? Did the Lord was with Joseph. The number one relationship before anything else is your walk with Jesus Christ. Number two, every relational opportunity comes out of that flow. You want to be a pastor that makes a difference for Christ that is used with these relationships and opportunities that God's going to put in your heart and life, just like he did with Joseph. You must be willing to build relationships. This is an interesting point. You know, when I'm reading this scripture, I'm coming to this text. And Joseph goes to these men 
in verse 7 of chapter 40. He asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? And they said, verse 8, we had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. I find it fascinating that Joseph was even that engaged, much less interested. You know, Joseph could have said no. <laughs> he could have said, why are you so sad? Because honestly, I don't care. He could have said that. He could have said, I appreciate the fact that you guys had some dreams, you're disturbed by them, but I'm not interested in helping you. He could have said that. He could have walked away and said, let me tell you about my problems in life. You know, just the other day, I was in charge of everything. I stood strong, and now I'm in here. I'm going to deal with my problems. You deal with yours. He could have said that. He could have been that bitter. He could have been that mad at God. But Joseph was willing to cultivate the relationship with others to influence for God. So your question and my question is, how willing are you today? How willing will you be in ministry? When you're facing these pressures and challenges on the family front, the leadership front, and the preaching front, and all these things, when God puts these relational opportunities in your path, how willing will you be? Because I'm going to tell you something. In ministry, you're going to face numerous moments where people betray you, people hurt you, circumstances disappoint you, where you feel like Joseph probably felt that you've been faithful and that you're walking through enormous challenges. Every one of us are going to face that. I'll never forget when I, when I told Stephanie, I said, you know, I know we've been traveling itinerantly for all these years, but I really feel like God's calling me to pastor a church and walk people through the word and build a team and reach a city, reach the world. And Stephanie had been in ministry and seen her dad serve on staff in the past. And she said, you know, Brad, you're going to walk in there and you think that everybody in church life loves Jesus and you're going to smile and it's just going to be, we're going to win the world for Christ. And I was like, is it not like that? And she's like, no. <laughs> Stephanie's kind of the realist, you know, in my life. And, and so it's been a great team. God's been very gracious to me with that relationship, the, the precious marriage here. But um, that's what I thought. And several years later now in ministry and serving, I get it a lot more. And so you know what I have to check in my heart as a pastor? That no matter what disappointment or betrayal or whatever hurt you think, and anytime you say, really, God, here I am trying to preach the word. I'm trying to hold up the word of God, I'm trying to point people to truth, and we're the ones going through this? Are you serious? Joseph had every reason to say that and act like that. And sometimes you don't want to help another person. And sometimes you don't want to be willing, but I'm telling you something. You will miss many opportunities for sharing the power of Jesus and influencing others for Christ and see God do incredible things. If you start to turn inward, start to become selfish and are unwilling to build relationships with others, you're going to miss a blessing. And God wants to use you to point people to Christ and to see those avenues, but you have to be willing. You have to do some things that will stretch you. These people and opportunities that God brings in your life, they will stretch you, they will challenge you, they might even move you out of your comfort zone. That's what these two did for Joseph. I mean, why would you wanna connect with these guys? You knew they worked for Pharaoh, you knew they made him mad, but he still said, God, I want your hand on me. For some reason you've done this. I want to build a relationship with these guys. And he had no clue what would happen two years later. He had no clue how God would use him in his life two years later to be in front of Pharaoh. How willing are you to do that? God will put those situations and people in your life to do that. 
Several years ago, Stephanie and I, we made a decision two years after being married to um, pursue theological training in the undergraduate degree program. Uh, we both got married in 93, attended the University of Arkansas, and I was there for a couple years, and I was studying to get that undergraduate degree in communications to go to seminary. And we were in Northwest Arkansas, and I was doing terrible in school. Stephanie's a straight-A student. I just struggle with all that stuff. I wanted to preach. I wanted to get out there and, and, and serve the Lord. And so I called Dr. Ronnie Floyd, my pastor mentor, and I said, sir, I've got to be at a Bible college. He calls me the next day. He says, look, Dr. Patterson's been at Southeastern for a few years. He said, you need to go out there. They've got a two-year college program you could transfer into, get your bachelor's of biblical studies. It's 21 hours away from home. I wasn't sure Stephanie would go for it. I knew her parents would hate me. But we also prayed about it and said, let's go. And so we went to Southeastern Seminary and in their college program, we were there. And our goal, Stephanie and I, goal was to graduate and evacuate. We were just going to go and get that degree and then move back to Northwest Arkansas. And I would travel and preach the gospel, right? And so a month before, about a month before graduation, um, I had, didn't know Dr. Pastor very well. We had met a couple times and you'd asked me to help you do a lot of stuff in life and no, I didn't know him really that well at all. But he, I was going to pay probably our final bills at school. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when you write those final checks? It's really a glory of God moment. It's really cool. And so I was writing those checks, and it's by Dr. Patterson's office. And he comes out. He says, Mr. Jerkovich, he said, congratulations on, on graduating with your, your bachelor's degree. I also understand you're not going to stay for your master's right away. I said, sir, here's what God's doing. He didn't even let me finish. He just turns to his assistant and says, would you schedule an appointment with Brad? He's going to be here another three years. He just doesn't know it yet. And I thought, ooh, okay. And so I went home. I said, hey, Stephanie, Dr. Patterson wants to meet with me, but it's all good. We're going back to Arkansas. I got it under control. I go to my meeting with Dr. Patterson that next week, and he's behind his big oak desk there. And he says, Dr. Jerkovich, or Mr. Jerkovich, why don't you tell me, uh, uh, you know, why you think you just need to go right now? And I told him, I said, man, we're preaching. This is what God's doing. And I probably spoke for 20 minutes. He didn't say a word. He just looked at me. He just smiled. He said, are you done? I was like, yeah, I, I guess I'm done. He said, have you ever heard of Billy Graham? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, Dr. Graham, if he had done it all over again, he would have deepened that well theologically when he had the chance. I was like, man, it's Dr. Graham. He's different than me, and we're doing this. He's like, okay, have you ever heard of the Apostle Paul? I said, I have. He said, you know, the Bible says that before he was really unleashed on the world, he spent some time in the desert. In fact, it was about three years, the Bible says. He said, see, Brad, I don't think you've prayed about it hard enough. And I'm going to ask you to do something you're going to think is really, really crazy. I didn't even know this guy, really. And from behind his big old desk, he puts a little blue sand, plastic sand bucket with a teddy bear on the side with a shovel in it. And he says, you see this bucket? I want you to go out and put some sand in it. This is a Tuesday. He said, and for the rest of the week, carry this bucket of sand and pray. And I want you to take it to class, to your staff meetings, to the mall. I don't care. Carry that bucket of sand for a week, all the while asking yourself, what makes you so much better than the Apostle Paul to spend time in the desert? And I was like, dude, I don't like you. You know, I didn't verbalize that because he would have killed me and stuffed me next to the lion or bear or tarantula or whatever he's got in his office. I don't know what it is, but, but I was nervous. But I, I, I remember taking that bucket of sand. I did it. I was just crazy to get that bucket, put some sand in it, and I set it on the counter at home, and Stephanie comes home, and she's like, what's that? I said, that is, uh, that's seminary. When I say that that was the longest night of our lives, that was, I mean, she, she got hot. And I don't mean hot in a, ooh, she's pretty hot. I mean hot, like 
I'm mad at God. How are we going to pay for this? You know, we wanted to have children. What in the world? Who's Dr. Pastor think he is? And she said some other things, so I don't want to share right now, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm going to get her in trouble. But anyway, we had fun. Longest night of my life. And I'm like, but here, you know, Dr. Floyd, I called him. I said, what do I do with this? He said, there's a reason why God has put this man in your life right now, Brad. And you better listen to the Lord. And I'll tell you, I took that bucket and I put sand in it and I took it to Greek class and I took it. And these professors, hey, Jerkovich, where's your uh, bucket of sand? Uh -huh. And they made fun of me. But I did it for a week. And I'll tell you, by Saturday, Stephan, I knew God was calling us to that. That's a relationship I wasn't looking for. I didn't know how God would use it. But let me tell you what we had to do. We had to be willing. And God did more in those next three years than I could have ever written out. And we graduated with no debt. And we had our first child there in North Carolina. And God has used this man in my life in ways I would never even thought about it. He's used Mrs. Patterson in our lives through deep, deep waters of challenge in our lives over the last 20 years. Let me tell you something. We could have said, no, nah, we'll just do something different. And you're going to go through life and you're going to experience some things in your ministry and you're going to say, I don't know, Lord, I'm not sure I want to be stretched or challenged that way. And I'm going to tell you something. God can do more than you're even thinking about right now, but you have to be willing. I think there's a third and final thing that Joseph shows us in this text, that if you want to be a pastor, that has relational influence for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Not only are you willing and you're walking with him, but third, I want you to notice something that I want to get to in chapter 41 as well. You must be prayerful with every relationship. Seeking the Lord, trusting the Lord. Before we look at verse 8 and verse 16 of chapter 41, I want you to think about this. Joseph knew the importance of praying and trusting in God's power to open doors, interpret dreams, and influence lives around him. In prison, in verse 8, he makes it clear, don't interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Let me tell you something. I, Joseph is saying, I'm nothing, okay? No matter what kind of leadership the warden has given me over the prison, I'm nothing. I'm here by the grace of God. I do what I do by the grace of God. And two years later, when Pharaoh had these dreams and, and none of his magicians could help him out, nobody could go to him and say, Pharaoh, this is what this means. God does something in the heart. He stirs the heart of that cupbearer. He said, oh, wait a minute. Two years ago, I had a dream in prison and the attendant helped me with my dream. And so in verse chapter 41, it says in verse 13, he says, and it turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position. The other man was hanged. He got very specific, right, with his prediction. And in verse 14, the Bible says, then Pharaoh sent for Joseph and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, he changed his clothes and went to Pharaoh. Can you imagine that moment? A dark dungeon prison, you've been kind of doing your deal. Now, now you really think he's mad? at God, or could be. Two years, Lord, really? And then boom, it all turns on a dime. And Pharaoh, verse 15, said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Look at verse 16. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give favor, Pharaoh a favorable answer. And I'm not talking about the God of your magicians. I'm talking about the God who has called me protected me, 
provided for me and every step of the way has done this, 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 and this. And you're about to meet him, Pharaoh. Can you imagine that moment? When Pharaoh was considered the deal, right? I mean, the leader in charge of everything. I'm telling you right now, Pharaoh, it is God who can interpret this. And the only reason I am who I am, I'm where I am, is because of his mercy, goodness, strength, and power. What a moment to testify for the living God. And he wasn't afraid to seek God, to ask God. Can you imagine that quiet prayer in his heart? God, I know that you're real. These people do not. Please show yourself today. Shouldn't that be our prayer as we walk with Christ in ministry anyway? This is a world that continues to show its unbelief and darkness and attitude towards the living God. They hate God. They're lost in darkness. The only reason you and I are here today is because of the grace of God and because Jesus Christ went to that cross that we sang about. He died on that cross. He was buried and he rose again. And by God's grace, we are saved through faith in Jesus alone. That's the only reason we're here today. It's the only reason you have a, an opportunity to preach and to share and to teach. Big shoes, a big moment, right, for, for Joseph in front of Pharaoh. Every time you're in front of your people, I'm telling you, man, that is just as giant as standing before Pharaoh. And you have the opportunity to preach the word of God, to teach, to shepherd, to see children come to faith in Christ, to see teenagers come to faith in Christ, to see college students, their lives totally changed, to see senior adults go, oh my goodness, I've lived 70 years and I did not know this Jesus you're talking about. You talk about a privilege. You talk about a platform. Joseph said, I cannot do this, but God can through prayer. When we seek the living God, I'm telling you, God can take a conversation. God can take a relationship that you don't even understand is happening. But when we're willing and we're prayerful and we're saying, God, do something here. I'm telling you, God honors that kind of heart. God uses that kind of faith. And when we're going to that church plan and we're going to pass that church or we're going on a staff or we're going to that mission field, is your heart committed to prayer? Are you committed to like Joseph, asking and seeking and trusting in God's power to open doors for gospel impact and to cultivate relationships for kingdom influence? What a moment we have. We cannot do it on our own. And I tell you, I was very aware of this when we moved from Lubbock, Texas to Bossier City, Louisiana. God had done some really cool things in our ministry in Lubbock and, and through relationships and ap avenues and through prayer. And we had Texas Tech University, University there and God was doing some really cool things. But when we moved to Bossier City, there was no major university there. That's in Baton Rouge, you know, LSU Tigers. Have you ever heard of them? You know, and so it's all in Baton Rouge. It's four and a half hours away. So I didn't really know in Bossier City. I mean, there's Centenary College and Louisiana Tech's 45 minutes away. But I'm sitting there, I'm going, Lord, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to pastor this fellowship. But, but what, what is here? What's the lay of the land? That's what you're going to do when you plant a church or you go to a new church. Lord, what's here? What are you doing here? Well, how do you want to use me here? We're going to preach, we're going to teach. But how do we shake this city for Christ? You know? And God said, hey, Texas Tech may not be here, Brad, but you know what is here? Barksdale Air Force Base. I didn't even know what that was. Barksdale Air Force Base. It's the largest B-52 base in the world. It's home of Global Strike Command. All things nuclear are with this base in Bossier City, Louisiana. 
I didn't really know military life that well. I always had a tremendous respect for the military. When my best friend and I were graduating high school in Southern California, he said, hey, Brad, I'm going to join the Marines, and I'm gonna go, I want to go down to Camp Pendleton and all this kind of stuff. He said, why don't you go with me on the buddy system? And I thought, absolutely, I'll be your buddy. But that's not, I thought it was writing care packages and sending letters and stuff. That's a buddy in the Marines. That's not true. You're like his buddy, and you go in together. And that scared me, because I can't do that many push-ups. And I said, I'll be your buddy, and I'm going to pray for you. What I'm saying is I've always had a huge respect for the military, but I didn't understand the lingo. I didn't understand what families went through. I didn't understand military life. And here we are in Bossier City four and a half years ago, and I'm like, Lord, I need, I need a relationship. I need, I need an avenue. I, would you open? Would you make a way? I kid you not. The next day, my assistant calls me, and she says, Pastor Brad, said General Vanderham, who's a two-star general who was over the 8th Command and 2nd Bomb Wing, he was over all of it, um, has just called and requested you and Stephanie and the kids come over to the base for dessert at their house. He said he, he has been visiting for a few months, and his family of 11 children will be joining him in a few months, and he wants to nail down the church home they're going to be a part of. Would you go there? And I was like, of course. General Vanderham didn't know him. We go onto the base. One thing you do, sir, is you show up on time. You know, in the military, that's a big deal, which I struggle with from time to time, but we were there on time. And I remember General Vanderham meeting us there at the doorway. And he said, Pastor Brad and Stephanie, and we hadn't been there three seconds. He said, Pastor Brad, you're from Redlands, California. I said, yes, sir, I am. I grew up there. He said, my mother-in-law attended the church you grew up in, came to faith in Christ there. My wife came to Christ in Redlands, California. And our best friends in life and ministry are pastoring the church that you grew up in today. It's like, whoa, they know things, you know what I'm saying? And we sat in there, and I kid you not, his 11 kids were in there, and they start singing worship songs. I don't know this man from anybody. You know what he did say to me, though? He said, you're the only pastor that followed up with me. See, sometimes we can get so busy doing our stuff that we forget and neglect the reason we're there. And I was like, whoa. And we became friends, and they joined our church, and they, they served in our church, and they got involved. And through that ministry, then he comes to me and says, Pastor Brad, we're going to be transferred to the Pentagon. But Barksdale Air Force Base is about to get their first four-star general ever. It's a big deal. They're making this a major, major deal. By the way, Barksdale Air Force Base is where President George Bush landed on 9-11 when he gave his first speech to the, to the nation. It's an, it's an amazing deal. They have his podium there and everything. It's really amazing. But this is a big deal, Pastor Brad, and I believe the new general is a Christian. You need to get to know him. I'm like, how am I going to get to know this guy, you know? Vanderham goes to the Pentagon. Two weeks later, we host our first Honor Our Heroes Day with Taya Kyle, and we're reaching military and first responders. General Rand, the first four-star general. By the way, out of about 650,000 reserve and active military, there are nine four-star generals. And he's in Barksdale, and he's visiting our church that day, and we meet, and my son Carter, who enjoys golf, comes up to me, and he says, hey, Dad, I met the general today. I said, you did? I said, yeah, and we're going golfing together. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, no, he, he knew that I enjoyed golf, and I said, well, sir, what kind of golf do you play? Is it army golf? He said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, left, right, left, right. I said, you said that to the general? He said, oh, yeah, he loved it. I was like, dear God, we'll never, we're, this is over. I mean, we haven't even begun our conversation. Two weeks later, we're having lunch with he and his sweet wife, and you talk about pressures that they go through. 
And he is deeply in love with Jesus. In 2005, he was over command of 50,000 troops in Iraq. One of his best friends who uh, sold out to Christ, gave his life strafing as some of our special op forces were surrounded. He went down below 10,000 feet in his F-16, strafed, saved all of their lives. They got him. It's an incredible story. But God used all of that in his life to shake him and to cause him to consider seriously who Christ is. And they have been active members of our church for three years. And through that, we've started a ministry called the Military Family Connection. And I'm not exaggerating. Nine out of 10 Sundays, we have at least one military family come to our guest center and say, hey, we're new, but we understand you guys have a heart for military families. One by one by one. What I'm saying to you is, I don't know all the relationships that God has for you to the places of influence and opportunity you're gonna get to serve. But I'm gonna tell you something. You make sure your heart is strong with the Lord. You make sure your heart is willing to build relationships and do something that may even stretch you, may even move you out of your comfort zone. And you be prayerful about every moment and you watch what only God can do. And so I wanna ask you this morning, how is your relationship with the living God? How is your relationship with your spouse? You gotta be a team. Is there someone that God has put in your life that you need to build a relationship with so the gospel can be shared and who knows what God wants to do with that? I am praying that God will do some things in your life, I mean that will shake the city and region that you're gonna be serving, whether it's here in Fort Worth or beyond. And I want you to pray that for me and Stephanie, that we will lift high the name of Jesus in Northwest Louisiana, and God will do something through everything that he allows us to do. He allowed Joseph to do some incredible things. It was not easy, and there were challenges on every side. But when you're prayerful and willing and you put God first, he does great things for his glory. So Father, I thank you for this sweet family of believers and servants and teachers. And Lord, I just thank you for putting people in my life and Stephanie and I's life, like a Dr. and Ms. Patterson, like a Ronnie Floyd and so many others that have cultivated our hearts, that have helped us to be strong for you. Lord, I'm praying that for these precious folks today. They're making relational contacts and relationships today that you're going to use for years to come until you return, Father. And I pray that our eyes would be saturated with gospel vision. Our faith would be expanded to way beyond what we see. And Father, you would do something new and fresh in our hearts, in our lives, for your glory. God, I pray you would just bless this place in Jesus' name. Amen.